Okay, we've had a little introduction in the kids' talk so, um, to James. So if you've got the church Bibles, you can find the first reading from James chapter 3. It's on page 1,218. So looking at James chapter 3 from verse 13 and going through to verse 3 of chapter 4. And it's entitled, Two Kinds of Wisdom. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And the following reading from 1 Corinthians is also um, looking at God's wisdom. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses uh, 20 to 25, and it's on page 1143 if you've got the church Bibles. <clears throat> Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. This is the word of the Lord. Well, well done. You've survived all of our James series except for this last one. We have come to the end uh, and it's been a little bit of a ride, hasn't it? I don't know how you found James. Uh, he is a fairly confronting writer who deals with many issues of uh, practical uh, relevance about how we live a life of devotion. Uh, what does pure Christianity look like? James wrestles with that topic 
And today, as we wrap up our series for this time, uh, we are going to explore the question of where does it come from? Okay, and we're going to be a little bit different today. I'm going to go into teacher mode, but I've got three points for you. Uh, Understanding the heart, uh, that's probably where we're going to spend a significant chunk of our time. Uh, Sources of life and the wisdom and power of God. Now, uh, just there's going to be lots of diagrams, and as we go through, uh, I've actually printed a whole lot of these things up, and they're at the welcome desk. So if you, are, you know, if you're into drawing pictures, you can draw them all down, but they're all there, uh, and uh, you can grab them on the way out. So uh, our first question, our first topic, uh, understanding the heart. Now, as we've actually gone through. Uh, the whole, uh, the book of James, uh, the first three chapters anyway, uh, but also as we've been dealing with other uh, biblical material, underlying a lot of this is a biblical way of understanding who we are as people and how we operate. Okay? And so what I want to give you today is a model. Okay? A model by its very nature will simplify things, okay? So uh, it will not be a model that you can't, you know, find, oh, but what about this? Oh, but what about this? But in terms of a general principle, a general way of understanding things that comes out of Scripture, it's a model that I have found uh, quite helpful. And so bear with me. I'm going to walk you through the model. That's the understanding the heart. And then we're going to apply it uh, in the next two points. Now, one of the images that the Bible often uses to talk about us as people is that of a tree, okay? You've probably never really thought of yourself as a tree, uh, but think about Psalm 1. Spokes about the, you know, blessed is the one uh, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do, prosper. So I don't know if you've thought about yourself as a tree, but hopefully now you do, okay? You're feeling very uh, botanical, yes? Keeping in the, in, the, in the botany realm with Jane and her kids' talk. Okay. Trees have uh, stuff that's above and stuff that's below, yes? Okay, I'm not, this is, this is botany 101 kind of thing, really profound, above stuff and below stuff. Uh, Below stuff, what's that called? It's the roots. Okay. Um, let, let me move a little bit into away from, away from botany into zoology. Here we go. Um, our roots are the heart. Okay. The roots in a tree are really what gives the rest of the tree its life, its shape. Uh, for us, that is the heart. Okay. So the heart is the core of the human being. That is, that is where we are. We are, not, uh, we are not primarily driven by our bodies. We're not primarily driven by our minds, according to Scripture. We are driven by our hearts. So when we are thinking fundamentally who we are, we are not fundamentally thinkers, okay? Anyone who works in education knows that that is true. You can fill someone's head with all the right facts. Does it translate into their life? Not necessarily, okay? 
Uh, I worked in health education for a while. Uh, I would teach people all sorts of things about how to look after their bodies and do the right things. And I saw it fail so often. Why? Because fundamentally, it's not a matter of putting in the right data and getting the right behaviour. We are driven more than just brains. We are driven by the heart. Proverbs. Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. The Bible sees that the heart is at the centre of our existence. Okay? Now, when we, you know, let's, let's start thinking about this through. In our society, uh, what part of the human existence do we associate uh, with the heart? Okay, what do we associate with the heart? Emotion. Emotion. Okay. What do we associate with the brain? Intellect or thoughts. And sometimes the will. The Bible doesn't make that split, okay? The heart is that, yes, it has that emotional aspect to it, but it's not an irrational emotional aspect. It has the idea uh, that includes the thoughts and the will. Those two go to... So when we think we are driven by our hearts, it's not just that we're all spontaneous, rational, uh, irrational, you know, we're just driven by emotion. No, but that that we are not purely our brain. <laughs> that, that's our kind of Greek ideas coming through, if you want to go a little bit technical. Uh, but there you have it. So we are trees that have hearts. Okay, you got that? Okay. Now, let me talk about a little bit more the heart. The heart, as we understand it in Scripture, has desires. Hearts are driven by desires. Now, I want to take you a little bit place, and I'm happy to unpack this a little bit more. I told Lauren that if I behave myself in terms of my time, there'll be a Q&A. So you can ask about this if you choose. There are four key desires that underlie all others. Let me give them to you. A desire for approval, affirmation, acknowledgement, a desire for power, not that we're all megalomaniacal, but we want to have a level of control. A desire for comfort. Not that we can all just sort of, you know, kick back on the couch, but a desire of, you know, what's our word for comfort? Well, we would call it well-being, wouldn't we? Okay? And a desire for security. These four desires are core to our human existence. They underlie all others. They give us an answer to the question why so why do you do what you do if you trace that down keep on asking why eventually i think you will get to one of these four key things approval power comfort security okay they are there in scripture uh, if you go to jesus's temptation by satan you can find all four of them there if you look carefully now, the heart seeks to satisfy those desires. And so what it is looking for is a source of life. So if you think in terms of our, our uh, botanical image, these are the roots that are going down and they are seeking to tap life from somewhere. And when we're talking about life, we're not talking about 
uh, just pure biological existence. We're talking about questions of purpose, of meaning, uh, of where we find satisfaction, where we find contentment and joy, where we know that our life has significance. What determines what we see as right and wrong? This will shape our morality. It will direct our choices. It will inform our goals and our ambitions. And ultimately, it will provide hope. So we seek to tap life somewhere. Now, because the wisdom literature, wisdom loves binary categories to, you know, either this or this. So the big one in wisdom, there's wisdom or there's folly or foolishness. Okay, and you go through and, and, and constantly, if you read Proverbs, and James picks a lot of this up, you know, there's this way or there's this way. So I introduced you to two streets, didn't I? Wisdom Way and Seduction Street. They're two roads with two destinations. There are two possible sources for life. God and non-God. Okay? You either tap life in God or in something that isn't God. Okay, those desires, those four key desires, look to be satisfied in either God or non-God. And now, how does wisdom fit? Wisdom, and, and, and Proverbs does this, wisdom is personified. So you can imagine wisdom as this lady who is trying to persuade you that God is the best option. That this is where you will find what you are looking for. This is where you were made to be. So wisdom is trying to persuade you, persuade your heart to put its roots down, to tap those four key desires into God, who he is, his promises. Foolishness, on the other hand, folly, is there trying to persuade your heart to tap into anything other than God. Okay, this is how wisdom and folly work. They try to persuade us to find life in one of two places, God or something else. Paul Tripp, an author who I go to a lot, he said this in a book that he wrote called Awe. He says, every sinner quickly replaces awe of the creator with awe of something in creation. To use my categories, awe of God is replaced with awe of non-God. The dynamic of replacement required that we buy into a devastating line. It is the belief that life can be found somewhere outside of the creator. That we can tap life, that our hearts can draw life from something other than God. It is the hope that true spiritual peace Rest, contentment, satisfaction and joy can be found somewhere in creation rather than in the creator. Okay, let me give you some examples from scripture. Jeremiah 17 uses exactly these images. So I haven't made these up, I've drawn these out of scripture. Okay, here you have the tree with its heart drawing life from non-God. Jeremiah 17, 5 and 6. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. 
Where are they tapping life? Non-God. That person will be like a bush in the wasteland. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They dwell in a parched place of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. Jesus uses images like they don't bear fruit, they bear thorns and thistles. Hebrews picks this up in Hebrews chapter 6 as well. There it has. But then he contrasts it. Jeremiah goes on. Here you have the tree whose heart sends its roots into God. But blessed is the one who trusts the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like the tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. So it's scriptural. There it is, Jeremiah 17. Let me go on. So this is the options that you have. You can have two types of tree that are drawing from two different places their life. They are seeking to satisfy those desires from either God or non-God. Wisdom is saying, go to God. Foolishness is saying, go to anything but God. And the Bible will tell us that the ones who put their roots down into God will bear good fruit. And those who put their roots down into the non-God will bear thorns and thistles. Now, remember, it's a simplified image. Okay, so work with this. But if you look at passages like Hebrews 6 verse 8, Matthew 17, 16, that's Jesus and then the author of the Hebrews using those image. And what does Jesus actually say? He says, you will know them by their fruit. Because if you look at a tree, you can't actually see, unless you rip the thing up, which is kind of self-defeating, you can't have a look at, see how healthy the roots are. You know, pulling it out by the roots, you look at it, go, that looks good. Well, it's dead then. So you can't do it. So how do you know? Well, you look at the tree. You look at what it's producing. And you say, this is healthy. This one's not. What's this telling us about the heart? That you look at the life and you will see what is happening in the heart. You will know them by their fruit. Now, this binary kind of category, this this or this, is classic wisdom teaching. Okay, the real situation is a little bit more complicated. So let me confuse you by giving you this last slide. Because this is where we live. Okay, you'll notice that there's good fruit, but there's also thorns. That it's not an either or. You become a Christian, you tap life from God, you bear good fruit. Well... If only it was that simple. But what's happened? Person comes to Christ. The spirit comes in, renews their heart, takes the victory of Christ on the cross through his death and resurrection and makes us new people. We are born again. And scripture teaches us that sin's power is broken over us But sin still remains. And so while we we tap life ultimately from God, there is this non-God option that is still there. And folly is still talking to us, saying, hey, you can find hope, meaning in all this other stuff like 
your family, your relationships, your work, your leisure, success. All these things of creation which are good things. You can find meaning and purpose there. Go there. Folly is telling us to tap meaning apart from God. While God and wisdom are saying, go to God, go to God. We live in this tension. We live in this world. Now, some of us may not be familiar with this language of wisdom and folly. So let me put my apostle Paul, who wrote 13 13 books of the Bible, that maybe we're more familiar with. Change the categories from wisdom to the Holy Spirit and from foolishness to the sinful nature. So what does Paul often tell us? He says, live by the Spirit. So James comes on stage and he says, no, 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 I agree with Paul, but he's been saying, follow wisdom, heed wisdom, same ideas. Paul says, don't indulge the sinful nature, don't follow the sinful nature. What you have then is James saying, don't be foolish, don't indulge folly. These ideas are there throughout scripture. Okay? Wisdom and foolishness. Spirit and the flesh. Jesus says in John 15, Remain in me and my words, if they remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Same ideas. Remaining in Christ. We can either draw life from him and bear fruit or try and draw life from something else. And Jesus doesn't say this in John 15, but the implication is to bear thorns and thistles. Have you got that? Does it make sense? You can ask questions about it in just a few minutes. There's the, all those slides are actually on that sheet with a little bit of an explanation as well, if you want to grab it on the way out. And I will actually email it out with this week's Bible study. So let's apply it now. In our second point, sources of life. So Julie read for us from James 3, and really, James gives us two sources of wisdom, doesn't he? He doesn't call them wisdom and foolishness, but he talks about them as wisdom from above and earthly wisdom or wisdom from below. He could say wisdom from God and foolishness. Okay, let's talk about an option A. If you're going to tap life, if you're going to listen to the wisdom from below. Now, it doesn't take much to see that James is not a fan. Such wisdom, James tells us, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual and demonic. Now, James here is not talking about a type of teaching. He's not dealing with false teachers who are twisting the gospel of Jesus Christ or something like that. What he is talking about is those those voices within the church community and their surrounding culture that were saying, find life apart from God. Put your trust in something other than God and his promises. Directs their hearts away to seek to meet those needs, those four key needs in finite things. 
Now, this was not new. Let's go back to Jeremiah. God accuses his people. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. To use our image, they have turned away from God as the source for finding what their hearts long for. And they've put their trust in something that can never deliver. James says this, and it produces bitter fruit. Verse 14 and verse 16. If you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. James says you tap you, you listen to this earthly wisdom. You tap life apart from God. You bear thorns and thistles. Envy and ambition. I resent the fact that you have what I want. Let me unpack this. Maybe you've bought the lie that if you have the perfect spouse perfect husband, perfect wife, you will then find meaning and happiness. It is there you will find purpose. It is there you will find contentment. Okay. And maybe your marriage is really hard. Maybe you got married, things have changed. Maybe you didn't really know the person that you married and there was all those issues there, but you didn't want to see it at the time. But for whatever reason, you look around and you kind of go, I'm married, but this is not what I was hoping for. And I look and I see those people. You know, you see them and they're just so in love. You know, they're 80-year-olds walking down the street hand in hand. You're just like, oh, I hate these people, you know. Actually, by the way, can I just say, I'm, this is not a comment on my marriage. <laughs> <laughs> but you see it. It's our envy. Envy, or maybe maybe you're single. Like I will share a story about my wife, because it's not about her. When she became a Christian, she became a Christian through a school Christian group, but her Christian friends at school didn't want to invite her to church because she might be a competition for the boys when it came time for the formal partners. And so you, you can't have this this new Christian in a church because the guys might ask her and not ask them wow okay we can look at that and go that's really immature but what happens if you know you're single and there's just a few of those guys or those girls out there the competition comes in the resources if that's where you're tapping life they become an enemy do you see how that works and so for james's people that he's writing to they're looking for security they're looking for comfort maybe they're looking for approval and they're desperate to get it and they see their brothers and sisters in christ as competitors and so they fight and we read this what causes fights and quarrels among you don't they come from the desires that battle within do i find it in god do i find it in something else that's what he's talking about those desires, where do I meet those things? And they, 
We feel that conflict. Paul talks about it in Romans 7 in different language. You desire but do not have, so you kill. Well, that makes an interesting church, doesn't it? Where's Jim? Oh, he was murdered during the week by Jane, actually. But, you know, whether it's real or whether it's a metaphor that he's talking about. You know, when Jesus says, if you hate in your heart, it's like you've murdered. I think that's what James is more likely getting to. It's an interesting church environment. There's murders going on. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. The image that comes to mind for me is Cain and Abel. Matt's taken us there recently. Abel had what Cain craved, that approval. And it led him to envy, to hate and to murder. You see that? Okay. What about us? Well, let me give you some examples and none of them are from this church. So I'm not talking about you. But I've been a Christian now for not as long as Val, but close. And I've been a pastor for uh, almost 25 years all up. So I've seen a bit. Approval. I've seen people craving to be up front. To gain approval through the exercise of their gifts. I've seen parents bent out of shape because they don't think their kids are getting enough of the prominence on the stage in the band. And it's ripped churches apart. It's destroyed relationships. Because it's not about serving God. It's not about serving God's people. It's about what I get out of being up front. Power. I've seen leaders pushing personal agendas. And it is born horrible fruit. They've got their own thing that they're on about and they will trample over whoever to get their way. Security. I've seen congregations bunker down. They don't want to change. They don't want to welcome those people in because that threatens what they're like. I've seen congregations make horrible choices just to preserve the status quo because to change would be too threatening and so we just want this to be the same you can find your own examples let's keep going you can tap wisdom from below and james says it has devastating effects you can also go and go to god wisdom from above Directs our hearts to God's. He's the one who can satisfy. Augustine, the Bishop of Hippo in 19, uh, 19, in 400. (laughs) I don't know where 19 came from. He said this, you have made us for yourselves, Lord. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. That's where we're designed to tap life. To find life in relationship with him. The Proverbs tell us that it is the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. James, whoever is wise and understanding among you, let them show it by their good life. If you are tapping life in the person and promises and power of God, if you are going to him, it will overflow in your life. Let them show it by their good lives, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. 
that wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, morally blameless, peace-loving, considerate and submissive. It is meek, it is gentle, it doesn't insist on its own way, it is not domineering or manipulative. It is full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial, as James has encouraged us not to show favouritism. It hangs out with the people on the edges, as well as the people in the middle. There is no favouritism. It is impartial, it is sincere. Now the word here for sincere is it's not playing a part. What you see on the outside is what is actually happening on the inside. And as we'll sing in a little while, it is a heart that is undivided. It is one that lines up around God at the centre. It is pure, peace-loving, considerate, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. These are the fruits of wisdom. So our last point, just quickly. Where does this come from? How do we get this? How do we make sure we're listening to wisdom and not folly? It's not just a matter of chocking your head full of theology. Well, theology is good. Don't get me wrong. Theology is good. It's not just having the right ideas, though. Our understanding of how humans work, it has to be addressing our hearts. And it does that in a way by, yes, informing them with knowledge, but speaking to those desires seeing how God has met those needs for us. We are restless until we find rest in him. James has told us in chapter 1 to humbly accept the word planted in us. What is that word? That word is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of the life, death and resurrection of Christ. Paul says we preach Christ crucified, the wisdom and the power of God. And this gospel is not just about getting saved. This gospel is the message of how to be saved. But once you're in, it is this gospel that remains at the center. Colossians, uh, I think it's the end of Colossians chapter 1, maybe the start of, no, it's the start of Colossians 2. Paul says... uh, Just as you began in Christ, so continue in him. Rooted and built up. Paul's mixing his metaphors as well. Putting your roots down deep into that gospel. So how does the gospel speak to our need for approval? Our father sent our brother to the cross so that by grace we might be accepted and not only accepted but adopted and so when he declares over Christ this is my beloved son if we are in Christ he declares that over us and if we have the approval and acceptance and acknowledgement of the God of the universe, 
Why do we crave acceptance from somewhere else? We are co-heirs with Christ. How does the gospel speak to approval? That's how God meets that need. What about power? We have God's spirit dwelling in us. We have the power of the one who raised Christ from the dead in us. Our heavenly father is the one who is the sovereign Lord of all. And our brother, the Lord Jesus, is the one who sustains all things by the command of his word. If that's not power, I don't know what is. Comfort. Augustine talks about it, finding that rest for our souls because we don't have to strive. We don't have to pretend that everything's okay. We don't have to keep on going just once more, once more, once more. We are accepted. We are home. Think of Luke 15 and the image of the father of the prodigal son as he comes home. And he rejoices over that one and he wraps his arms around him and he throws the feast. That is where we are. That is where we are. We have not just peace in terms of cessation of warfare, but we have shalom. That true blessing for our souls. Psalm 23 maps it out for us, doesn't it? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me beside the quiet waters, makes me lie down in the pastures. He restores my soul. That's what David's getting at. And that's what's ours because of Christ. Security. We are saved. Saved by grace through faith it is not our work it is done for us and it is received freely it is all of christ it is all of grace and that gives us a radical security jesus warns he says don't be afraid of those who can destroy the body and then afterwards can do nothing because we are more than just this body be afraid of the one who after destroying the body can destroy the life in hell. God has a power. But that power, that judgment has fallen on Christ. And so we, we will never face that. If our faith is in him, we will not face that judgment. It has been taken. And that gives us a radical security. Nothing can snatch us from his hand. As Paul says in Romans 8, 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's worth, I think, memorizing the end of Romans 8. When we face the hardship, you know, what will separate us from the love of God? Shall trials or hardships, angels, demons, height, depth, future, past, COVID? No. No. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It is the gospel that meets these needs.
It is the gospel by which God draws us home. And that gospel speaks not just to our heads as an idea, but to our hearts as through the gospel, through that death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. He has met our basic needs. We are forgiven and accepted. Our hearts find rest. So where do we find pure Christianity? We find it as we listen to wisdom. As we go back to the wisdom and power of God, which is the gospel of Christ crucified. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can find all that our hearts crave so richly provided for us in Christ. And in his most precious name we pray. Amen.